It's the Asian Boxing Podcast, AsianBoxing.info. Scott and Colin back. I know it's been a while, and Scott, this is on me. There was Christmas, there was New Year's, now work all of a sudden is getting busy, so I'm just glad we have reconnected and we can talk some boxing. Scott, how were the holidays for you? How was Christmas and how was your New Year? They were cold and alcohol-induced. And you're on? It was pretty warm out here. Not any alcohol, although I did have fruitcake, which sometimes has rum in it, but I don't think this one had any rum inside the fruitcake, but it was very tasty. Scott, the real question is, I know you had a lot of alcohol. What type of alcohol did you have? And number two, what type of sweets did you have? Because I know you have a sweet tooth. In terms of alcohol, I tried pretty much everything. Um, We've been now a dry house for the last few days because there's no alcohol left. The sweets is mostly chocolate, just chocolate. Chocolate and alcohol. Okay, now for dinner, do you go like beef wellington? Is that something that you do during Christmas? No, um, no. Although we did have beef, but no wellingtons. Okay, I don't. It's just something I've always wanted to try, and I see Gordon Ramsay, you know, on the Food Network, and he's making that beef wellington, and it looks really good. So I was just asking. I was wondering, but beef, we we had beef too. So beef is always a good Christmas dinner. Well, I'm glad that you had a good Christmas. You had a great New Year's Eve. I know that, and we'll talk about that just a little bit later. But the day after Christmas in Japan, let's start off there. Uh, It was a a very, very stacked card. We'll start off with the main event, Masayuki Ito versus Hironori Mishiro. And Scott, this was a fight that I thought, you know, Ito, I kind of favored him in, but he did not come away with the victory. What did you see? I had a really, really competitive fight. I think Ito landed the better blows right through. I think he was the, the heavier-handed fighter. Probably you know, the guy who showed a bit more experience. But Mishiro's jab was just a weapon throughout. Mishiro controlled the range really well. When the fight was being fought range, he just landed very clean a lot. And I think that impressed the judges. And it was a really, really, really hotly fought and well-contested belt. Extremely close. Majority decision. Do you think this goes to a rematch? Are these guys going to get back in the ring? Or do they now split off and do their own thing? Um, I suspect they split off and do their own thing. Originally, Ito was talking about fighting Yushiro Yoshina if he won. And Mishiro basically said, if I win, I want to fight Yoshina. So I think that's probably where Mishiro's going. But Ito, it's going to be a bit of a rebuilding process. He did have... um, illness last year he had his appendix removed a loss here he probably does need a bit of an easier one and then kick on throughout the rest of the year Mishiro versus Yoshino very very interesting bout between two undefeated guys who do you see coming out of that victorious I think Yoshino I think he's a naturally bigger more powerful guy but Mishiro's jab is going to give him fits Um, early on I think Mishiro takes any lead before Yoshino fires back and takes him out later on. And then also on this card, a prospect that we have been talking about for a while here at Asian Boxing. You, Scott, have really built him up to be a a, a superstar in the making. Jin Sasaki, only 19 years old, and he comes away with another uh, knockout victory. 
yeah, he beat Ato Ishiwaki. I regard Ishiwaki very highly. I think he's been very tough. He's very impressive. But Sasaki dropped him twice in round one, had him on wobbly legs as the bell went, and then completely destroyed him in round three to claim the Japanese youth light welterweight title or super lightweight title. Really, really impressive performance from Sasaki, who at just 19, he looks a sensation. He looks a star in the making. He's got everything he needs. He's got power, speed, natural charisma, an aura of a star. If he has the year in 2021 like he had in 2020, he's going to be fighting for a Japanese or OPBF style title this year. And I see this guy being learned from him. He genuinely just ticked every box you want to see in a young prospect. Really exciting, and especially at that weight. Super lightweight has been, at least on the Japanese scene, there's been some up-and-coming youngsters who are really impressing. I think of Andy Hiroka uh, being one of them, but I think that's a weight class that's you know pretty tough. It's a weight class that looks like it's about to wake up in Japan. you also got Daishi Nagata and Akihiro Kondo there. Uh, there's a handful of others there. There, thereabouts. They're going to make some interesting uh, fights in the next few years. Ricky Naito, uh, Kodai Honda is so much fun to watch. Masahiro Suzuki is making his mark. Uh, Koichi Ato is still hanging on. So, yeah, it's really going to be an exciting division over the next four, five, six years. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast, Scott and Colin. Now, Scott, let's move a couple days after that December 26th card, which was very exciting. But this was the one I think that everyone was anticipating, not only in Japan, but everywhere around the world. And luckily, Scott, you gave them the tools because I, I saw a lot of different websites. Oh, how do you watch this fight? If you're especially here in the United States, because no one picked up this fight between Aoka and Tanaka, you gave them the tools, us the tools, Aisakura. That's that's the way to go. I still have not downloaded it, and I'm kicking myself, Scott. I need to. You do need to. It's only three dollars for a three day account. You could have seen this year and watched all the wonderful celebrations that Japan had over the uh, end of the year, and the fantastic Sasuke. Uh, me and my partner sat down on New Year's Eve after the fights and watched Sasuke. So that was that was fun. As the fight itself, what a fantastic way to end the year. It was eight rounds of high-level uh, action, high-tempo action from Tanaka, really high-level stuff from Ioka. One of those bouts that really encapsulates what Japanese boxing is about. It had the skill and hunger, desire, speed, technique. It was all there. Um, sadly for Tanaka, it was also his lack of experience. Uh, it probably cost him when he was stopped in eight rounds. Um, I think... Really, this bout showed an issue with the way Tanaka had perhaps spent 2020. Because he'd been out the ring all year, I don't think he got the one bout he needed at 115 pounds just to acclimatize. And I think that showed against Ayoka, who took his shots better than anybody else, who had his own edge in power. And I think Tanaka perhaps should have made sure he fit in one other bout before facing Ayoka. I tip my cap to Tanaka because he takes all challenges, all challengers, and he didn't because sometimes we say, oh, you know, we don't want to see a tune-up fight, but I agree with you, Scott. He probably should have taken a tune-up fight before getting in the ring with a skilled technician like Ioka. Now, I'm, I'm glad I got to, to watch this fight, and thank you again, Scott, for posting it 
ASAP, like right after the fight ended, you could find this fight on AsianBoxing.info. What happened with me was I was I had work early in the morning and I was thinking, oh, should I stay up? Should I stay up? And no, I decided I'm going to go to bed early. But right when I got up, I put this fight on and you're right. It was exciting. It was there was a lot of skill. I thought Tanaka early on was doing a great job of boxing. But um, again, sometimes I think Tanaka starts to want to engage a little too much. And defensively, he, he wasn't responsible, uh, especially with those hooks against Ioka. So that's something that he will clear up, I think. Only 25 years old, so he has a bright future ahead of him. For Ioka, where does he sit when it comes to all-time great Japanese fighters? Because when I think of all-time greats, I think of fighting Harada and Yoko Gushikin. Naoya Inoue is starting to make his way up that list. Where does Kazuto Aoka sit on that list? I certainly say he's well within the top 10. Um, probably the top half of that top 10. Yeah, in terms of world champions, I believe he's got more world title wins than anyone else in Japan. He's the only male four-weight world champion. His legacy is already set in stone. He won the first all-Japanese a world title unification belt with Akira Yagati. He won this belt with Tanaka, which is the first time two Japanese multi-weight world champions clashed. Yeah, he's certainly the top handful. Um, in terms of technical ability, he's probably up there among the top three. Um, but those two losses are perhaps going to be marked down uh, when you compare him against uh, Yamanaka or Uchiyama or Inoue, who took two losses very, in case of Yamanaka and Uchiyama, Took two losses very late in their career. But yeah, it's kind of hard to argue. He should certainly be in the top 10, very clearly in the top 10. Here's the thing, too. I mean, if he goes out and, and challenges Estrada or a Chocolatito, if he can get some of those names under his belt with with big victories, he's, he's going to start climbing up the ladder and, and possibly could work his way into a Hall of Fame career. I suggest he probably already belongs in the Hall of Fame, being completely honest. Uh, I know the Hall of Fame don't tend to appreciate fighters from outside of, Japan, uh, outside of the US, but what he's done is remarkable, and he's done it his own way, so to speak. He's never really had the big backing from the US. He's never really needed the US in many ways. He's done it mostly at home, and I think that's been really impressive. Now for Tanaka, where does he go from here? Because he dude has a lot of options. I don't see anyone not wanting to fight him and make a, a big, big type of fight. Um, but what do you think he does after this loss? I think he probably goes back to the drawing board. I, my understanding is that his team is set to change. He's set to lose his father as a main trainer. Um, Kiyoshi Hatanaka needs to get him in with better camps. They need to get him in... Probably in the US bout, in fairness. I think they do need for him to travel. I think he needs to get outside of Nagoya and really, really get top level international competition. A fight on US soil against someone like Javier from uh, Pedro Guevara. Um, even coming over to the UK and fighting one of the Edwards brothers, I think he needs that level of international experience uh, just to really put him up at 115 pounds. He's 25. He's going to bounce back. He's nine years younger than Trisaka. He's eight years younger than Roman Gonzalez. Six years younger than Ayaka. He's going to be the star of the division. 
he just has to be a little bit patient. Really, really exciting stuff from Ioka and Tanaka. And again, thank you, Scott, for giving us the, the lowdown on Isakura. And believe you me, I'm downloading it so I won't miss New Year's Eve fights anymore. The other fight in that card that was worth uh, watching and was actually televised, but not live, it was shown around the world on different titles, was Daigo Higa's return against Yuki Strong Kobayashi. And that was Higa looking at his best. I don't think I've seen Higa look that good since. It's probably he won the world title, um, the WBC flyweight title. He looked absolutely dominant against a decent Kobayashi. Yeah, how many uppercuts did uh, he hit Kobayashi with there at the end of the fight? It was two really brutal right hands. I think he broke Kobayashi's nose. There was blood coming all over the ring. It was, yeah, it was a messy finish. It was brilliant. So for Higa now at that weight, there's there's a lot of different fighters that he could go up against. Uh, who do you think is next for Higa? Uh, given he won the WBO Asia Pacific title and the bout was being marketed as a WBO world title outpost bout by Japanese TV, it seems like that he's going to try and tag John Real Casemiro, which would be a really interesting bout. I'd love to see that one. I think the similar size, the Higa is going to be small against most bantamweights, but against someone like Casemiro, he's going to be a similar size. He's going to be able to enforce his will a bit more. So I think that's probably the target. Although maybe someone like Zalani Tete or Liborio Solis, a former world champion type, which could just help um, help steady the ship and help prepare him for a world title ball. Any of those fights, I would be looking forward to. Uh, he is super exciting, and at, at that lower weight, when he was knocking everyone out, you thought he was going to be the next star. Had a little bit of a blip, but he's back, um, back on the horse and. Still knocking people out. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast, Scott and Colin, AsianBoxing.info. One thing I wanted to touch on too, Scott, this news just came down the line, but it, it's involving Kazuto Aoka and uh, some body art. So in a Japanese ring, a fighter isn't allowed to um, do anything that um, um, a person with a tattoo other style that makes the audience feel uncomfortable is not able to fight. Um, and they're meant to sort of cover up tattoos or with tape, um, concealer, powder. And Ayaka's tattoo is very clearly visible when he fought Tanaka. So he's now going to be told off. And there's going to be an ethics committee meeting next week, I believe, to decide his punishment. I mean, it's kind of funny when you think about it because... Here in America, over there in Europe, tattoos are not a big deal anymore. I mean, maybe in the 40s and the 50s they were here and, you know, you got a tattoo and it's like, oh, you're a, a criminal. That might be what it is in Japan still, but over here we probably would look at something, some rule coming down from our boxing commission like that and, and laugh and scoff. But obviously in Japan, they're serious about it. Yeah, they've been serious about this for a long time. It's not just a new rule. Um, it's quite a dated rule. And it has seen fighters like Tatsuki Kawasaki and Hironari Oshima need to go through quite expensive treatments and surgeries to hide their tattoos. Um, Kawasaki, for example, had a giant back tattoo that you need to have laser surgery to have removed before you can get a boxing license. So. 
it isn't a new thing, but usually um, it is covered. They are usually just sort of concealed with makeup and stuff, and for whatever reason, the makeup didn't work this time, didn't conceal it for very long. Maybe you could just wear like a long sleeve shirt. Does that work? I don't know. I don't think they're allowed though. Um, we have seen people wearing long trousers, so don't see the difference, do ya? Yeah, it works. We've seen one Japanese fighter wear a wig. Uh, hey, if he wants to wear a wig with those long trousers and a long sleeve shirt, I will watch him fight. Ioka, anytime he's in the ring, I'm going to watch him fight. Uh, so that is very interesting news coming down the line that uh, is going to get a stern talking to. And over here, someone gets popped for steroids and it's like, oh, well, you know, give him another shot. Yeah, I think it's probably going to be a three-month suspension and a bit of community service, similar to Ken Shiro's punishment, to be honest. But it is big news over there now, and it does seem very blown for what it actually is. They certainly are strict, maybe in a good way sometimes, but maybe a little too strict uh, sometimes as well. It's the Asian Boxing Podcast, asianboxing.info. Now that we've jumped straight into the year, of 2021 we're in january uh scott what does january look like for asian boxing january looks really 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 quiet there isn't actually a lot to get excited about um uh, a week tomorrow we get kita kurihara against takuma inue which is probably the standout bout in terms of names um kurihara is a hairy hander takuma inue is noya's younger brother that should be a really good one um on the 16th, so a week on Saturday, we get Riku Nagahama defending the OPBF welterweight title against Ryota Toyoshima. That's the first bout that we televised live in Japan. So, those interesting Isakura, this would be a fantastic example, a fantastic time to try it. And on January 22nd, we get Kusuke Saka versus Takuya Watanabe and Yusaku Kuga versus Kakuya Fuhashi, in what should be an Absolute bam-bang double-header. Um, live on Boxing Rares. And that is literally pretty much it for the entire month of January in, uh, January in Japan. I'm not going to complain, though, because December was crazy with boxing in Japan. It always is. I mean, it's one of the best months of boxing anywhere. So I understand January. Take a little time. You have to schedule some things, and of course, December was great, so I'm not going to complain. It feels like a bit of a come down, especially with boxing being essentially suspended in the UK. Um, but we do have, of course, uh, Bektomir Malikuziev fighting in Russia at the end of the month as well. So there you go. A lot of things to look forward to as we continue this journey through um, what has been a crazy, it was a crazy 2020, now we're in 2021, it's a new year. And we're glad to be back here on the Asian Boxing Podcast. Scott, thank you again so much for your time, all that you do on the website. And uh, yeah, maybe I'm going to really seriously sign up for that Isakura subscription. You mean well, should. Especially this month. You know what? I'm just going to do it this month. There we go. Book it. Uh, something else you're going to book? We're going to have more podcasts coming your way. Don't worry. I know we were gone for a while, but hey, we had Christmas and New Year's, and I have work. So there's a lot of things going on. 
But again, we appreciate you listening to us. We really do. And we appreciate you uh, following the website as well, asianboxing.info. Until then, we will talk to you next week.